Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Anne has a 10-minute walk from the subway station to work each morning. She walks up a city street, past row houses and triple-deckers, packed tightly together, built before the age of driveways. Halfway through her walk, she passes one house with a narrow strip of earth between the stoop and sidewalk. Here she pauses. On this six-by-six-foot plot of land is a garden. In spring, she is warmed by the sight of early crocuses and daffodils. In June, a rosebush climbs the fence. Later in summer, she sees tomatoes and savors the thought of fresh tomatoes, juicy and red, unlike the hothouse tomatoes available in the store. For a moment, her mind releases concerns of what will happen during the day ahead or what didn't happen yesterday. For a moment, she enjoys this gift from a stranger, a small plot of beauty and hope, and then walks on with a lighter step. I wonder how many of us would miss this simple interruption in our routine. Would we be deep in thought or worry or just mindlessly running through the list of things we need to do? Perhaps instead of a mental soundtrack, we might have a soundtrack of our favorite music, listening to our iPod. Or were we walking with head down, checking email on a Blackberry? Anne might look and wonder why someone was walking by and talking out loud to no one. Before she realized, the, pl- the person had a Bluetooth earpiece talking to someone on the phone. It's a small thing, a few steps on the way to work. But those few steps might one day be the very thing we need to nourish a practice of hope. I intentionally use the term practice of hope in an attempt to move from hope as an ideal, some pie-in-the-sky dream, or a miracle. Personally, I need a hope that is attainable, one that is practical, hope as a verb, something I am able to do. This is a hope born of perspective, awareness, and openness. Kathy Weingarten, PhD, a family therapist, has developed a framework she calls reasonable hope. In her framework, reasonable hope refers to actions that one takes, not feelings one may or may not be able to summon. Rather, reasonable hope consists of actions taken individually or with others. Dr. Weingarten's reasonable hope concept has the following characteristics. First, it is a practice. And as a practice, it is an expression of actions. 
As an adult, we practice what we truly value. It's not about something we wish for or only think might be important. One time, the dental hygienist asked me why I didn't floss. I said, I didn't want to. <laughs> she looked stunned. Her litany of rational reasons would not make a difference until I decided that this was important enough that I would change my behavior. Take the example of my 16-year-old nephew, who only practices what he wants to do and when he has a goal. He practices his cello without reminders. He voluntarily goes out for a five-mile run. Cleaning his room is another story. <laughs> He's probably related to me. <laughs> Reasonable hope flourishes within supportive relationships, the second characteristic. At the exact time when people are susceptible to feeling hopeless and inclined towards isolation, they need to be in community. This community is not merely a warm and fuzzy concept. It's a community born of conviction that relationships matter and are necessary for our well-being. In the book, The Art of Happiness in a Troubled World, Howard Cutler discusses with His Holiness the Dalai Lama the lack of sense of community often present in the United States. The Dalai Lama describes this lack of community as a type of personal loneliness, a desire to share emotional pain with someone, to have someone to talk to. Without this connection, an individual is without an emotional anchor. In the book, Howard Cutler reports surprising findings from the Chicago General Social Survey about changes in social connection over the past 25 years. Between the first survey in 1985 and a follow-up in 2005, the number of people reporting that they had no one with whom they could talk about important matters tripled. In 2005, 25% of people reported having no close friends. And over this time period, the composition of these friendships had changed. In 1985, people reported having three close friends or confidants. In 2005, people reported having two close confidants. With family members being the primary so source of social connection. Does this ring true? How often do we think I barely have time for my spouse and or my children. I can't keep up with other relationships. Or on the other side of the coin, it may be people who are lonely and using their jobs, hobbies, eating, alcohol, drugs, to avoid pain rather than taking time and energy to make friendships. Last fall, we started a women's spirituality group at Arlington Street Church. On average, over a dozen women met together each month, born out of a desire for intimate connections. Some had spouses and children, others did not. The common theme was a search for community. Think about what it means when we name Arlington Street Church as a community of memory and hope. Does it mean that we offer a place where we find confidants, we find companions, with whom to practice actions expressing hope. 
How does community happen? Again, in his book, the Dalai Lama suggests that comes out of conviction to act out of a value for our interconnection and independence as opposed to the extreme individualism in our society. The Dalai Lama believes that the popularity of the show Survivor speaks to our individualism. The show is not about a group in a desperate situation working together to survive. No, the Dalai Lama says. Instead, the show celebrates individualism, with the winner, the survivor, being the last one left alone, sitting on a mountain of cash. When the difficult times and we need hope, when we need one another, our cash will be useless. The best it could do is to buy access to a therapist who becomes our confidant when we have no one else. I've devoted significant time to this characteristic of reasonable hope, that of community, because like most practices, the remaining characteristics are easier when done with someone else. Some people have self-discipline and self-motivation to practice hope as individuals. But we know that many of us are weak in the area of self-discipline. Or perhaps a reframe might be, we are strong in the area of interdependence. We need one another. If this were not true, there would be no reason to have Weight Watchers, Alcoholics Anonymous, cancer support groups, exercise classes, centers for meditation, and even a buddy who helps us get to these groups. The third characteristic of reasonable hope is that it maintains that the future is open, uncertain, and able to be influenced. Reasonable hope gives up the fight against what we think we know. A friend gave me a magnet with a quote, dwell in possibility. But there's an important question. What is the possibility in which we dwell? Perhaps what we need to maintain hope is to dwell in possibilities, to be less certain about the outcomes. One way we are able to see possibilities is in meditation. During meditation, we quiet our incessant thoughts so we can open our mind to examine our beliefs and allow alternatives to enter. John Kabat-Zinn is the founding director of the Stress Reduction Clinic and the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society at the UMass Medical School in Worcester. Kabat-Zinn and colleagues have studied the effects of practicing moment-to-moment -moment awareness on the brain and then how the brain processes emotions, particularly under stress. John Kabat-Zinn says, how we see and hold the full range of our experiences in our minds and in our hearts makes an enormous difference in the quality of this journey we are on and what it means to us. It can influence where we go, what happens, what we learn, and how we feel along the way. The fourth characteristic, reasonable hope accommodates doubt, contradictions, and despair. While I was typing that phrase, I wrote, reasonable doubt accompanies doubt, 
contradictions in despair instead of reasonable hope. But there may be truth in this typo. We need reasonable doubt in order to have reasonable hope. Reasonable hope accommodates doubt, and reasonable doubt accommodates hope. When we're certain in our doubts, there's no room for that hope. Certainty is the roadblock. Here's an illustration. A Coast Guard ship was in the ocean at night. A sailor on watch saw a light in the distance. After a few minutes, he noticed that the light was coming closer and closer on a direct course to run into his ship. He notified the captain. The captain instructed that a radio message be sent, telling the other ship that it was on a collision course and needed to switch directions. There was no response, and the ship continued to approach. The captain ordered another radio message be sent. Again, no response, and the other ship continued to approach. The third time, the captain really wanted to make his point. He told the communications officer to send the message that this was a U.S. Coast Guard vessel and the other ship needed to change course immediately. This time there was a response. Captain, you are headed directly towards a lighthouse. You need to change course. For some reason, many of us tend to see life as black or white, right or wrong. It's a simplistic view that limits our ability to see complexity and shades of gray, or to frame a question as A and or B instead of A or B. When we see the choice as either hope or doubt, we feel like doubt is wrong or is a weakness obstructing hope. Reasonable hope accepts that life is messy. We can find both despair and hope at the same time. John Kabat-Zinn tells us, it's not a matter of letting go. You would if, if you could. Instead of let it go, let that doubt go, we should probably be saying, let it be. Back to Anne and her walk to work. How does this relate to the concept of reasonable hope? It relates because it is an example of something simple that something simple that sustains reasonable hope. Whether we are in a discouraging situation trying to practice hope or wanting to be a friend supporting another's practice of hope, we all need ways to support this practice. Anne's walk to work illustrates the following. First, Anne had an openness, an ability to notice this small garden while others walked right by. John Kabat-Zinn would use the term mindfulness, being in the present moment, not caught up thinking about the future or past. Anne had an ability to find joy and beauty in this garden. String enough of these small moments of joy together and things don't, lo and things don't look so bleak. If the overall perspective hasn't changed, at least the emotional pattern has been interrupted. And research shows that in ways we do not yet understand, these, break, these small breaks have an impact on our neurohormones, the chemicals that are connected to our emotions. Small things matter. Why is it that one small thing, 
a flower in a garden, a dandelion growing out of a crack in the asphalt, something a child says or does, the ability to find humor, a card from a friend? Why is it that these things that happen in an instant can set the tone for our day? We may not know why, but we do know that they make a difference. And Anne's daily walk, the same walk to work, the repetition of it created a habit. Anne had discovered a daily opportunity for joy. Sure, some days she was caught up in something else and walked right by. But the next day, she was back at that same place, remembering the joy of a few days ago, reinforcing that desire to see mindfully each day. Best of all, it was part of her daily schedule. She didn't have to go out of her way to make it happen. Her practice was just to stop, to pause, and notice what was right there in front of her. Let's take a couple of moments of silence to try out this practice of hope. Stop. Let your thoughts slow. Notice what is happening right now, right here. There is nowhere to go, nothing to do. Everything is okay. Let it be. Peace.